Welcome again to another episode of the Southwest Climate Podcast. As always, Mike Kremitz. Isaac, how are you? Happy holidays. Happy holidays. This is the December holiday edition. It is. It is. Hot chocolate, ugly sweater on. What are you getting your boys for Christmas? Legos. It's always Legos. Legos? It's just easy. Not a, an R coding for young boys? Well, that's in the stocking. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely. You got to start running. I got, I got a lot of work for them to do. Let's just put it that way. You got to prep them to either be, you know, a starving artist or a computer programmer. <laughs> Those are the only jobs that are going to be available. That's true. <laughs> I better take note of that. Well, pretty soon I'm going to be artificial intelligence out of out of uh, my jobs. Well, the podcast is will be taken over pretty soon by AI. I'm pretty sure Ben's going to be doing these cut ups from the five years that we've been doing this. And <laughs> we did talk about having Siri or Google do the podcast for us. We would just ask it questions one time. Okay. Enough of that. So we've got a month to recap. Mm -hmm. We'll go over the climate. We'll revisit October a little bit, talk about November, focus a little bit more on the snowpack situation as we head into the winter. That's a a, a critical resource to monitor. Right on. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the El Nino event and the, the forecasts that have been made for the Southwest. What do you think? I'm ready. I think this more snow, the better. The, the more, more snow- we talk about it, the more we dwell on it, the snowtacular episode. This, okay, that, I can work that in as many times <laughs> as I can. Worked but, out on that. I workshop that a lot. Please don't. Okay. Okay. So let's just do a little recap. October and November was, for a lot of Arizona, sort of a whipsaw. Yeah. October was very wet. It was. I believe the southeast part of Arizona exceeded, I don't recall the exact value, but it was in the upper, you know, fifth percentile in terms of precipitation. November, however, completely different story. Yeah, not much at all. In fact, it was in Tucson, the only rain event squeaked in right at the end of the end of the month. Is that yeah, right? That's right. Right at the close of the month. What the heck happened? Why so dry? We suffered through last fall. Do you remember last fall? We probably still have some trauma from thinking about last fall where we had the monsoon end in August, and then we kept waiting around for September. Thought we'd get a tropical storm or something, but ended up having that September, October, November, and even December, even January, dry spell, and how warm November was and bone dry it was. This year, surprisingly, given how wet it was in October, having those tropical storms and all that moisture in October did not carry through into November. We didn't have a whole lot going on in November. Temperature-wise, though, was much cooler Mm -hmm. than we saw last year, which I think was a saving grace this year. I think it did help us hold on to some of the moisture that fell in October, maybe slowed down a lot of the drying that we may have seen with a dry month. But if you go back in the record, you poke at some of the stations and look to see how many times you zero out November, there's a good five, six, seven years uh, in the historical record that you've had zero precipitation. You can go to different stations around the state and see that. So November is... Definitely when we should be transitioning into that wintertime season, picking up some of those early winter storms, but it does not happen every year. And this year we just didn't, we just didn't see it. Yeah. As it turns out, I do have that data handy. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So I didn't have to just keep riffing on no, uh, making you, stuff And up. you were right. Well, all right, perfect. Which, this is good. This is good. I'm glad. It's surprising, quite all frankly. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you look at the historical record dating all the way back to 1950, there had been five years more or less 
with zero precipitation in November for the climate, the South southeast East climate, climate division. division. Yep. So mm-hmm. this is the Tucson sphere of influence. Right. I did that same exercise for Flagstaff and, and found, you can see this for Northern Arizona as well. But there's 13 years where they receive less than a tenth of an inch. Yeah. So, so even, yeah, so it's not, a, it's, not our, it's not a wet month, right? And this year for- Is that the point you're trying to make? Well, I'm saying that it's 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 not uncommon. Okay, fair enough. And so, you know, if you stack the years and, and rank them, we received that one event on averaged across the southeast uh, part of Arizona was a little over a, a, a tenth of an inch, and that was 16th out of since 1950. And and Tucson received a little bit more actually yeah. in that that one event. End of November was, I think we got a little over a quarter of an inch. Or mm-hmm. The buzzer beater right at the end of the month on the, I think the 30th. But I was also looking back at the weather maps and given that it was dry, I was expecting to see a persistent ridge that helped push our, our weather to our north and, and to our east, but that actually wasn't the case. Yeah. So what was what was going on like weather-wise? Was it active? Was it and, and, and if it was, what did we miss? This was really good, right? We, we've had a, a very active jet stream since the monsoon season. We haven't had too many spells of being stuck under a ridge. And so if we think back to last fall, we had this sort of death ridge over the Southwest that just persisted, persisted, persisted. And being under that ridge, you're going to not only have the storm track pushed to the north, you're also going to be under the influence of those sinking air, warm atmosphere, and hence Infection. the warm temperatures. Yeah, so it's it's gonna it's gonna conspire to give you above average temperatures, if not record. This year we haven't had that issue. We've had a very transitory pattern, and if you look at the overall jet stream pattern over the East Pacific and then into the West and across the U.S., there have been some what we call centers of action where you can you see like a a lower or high stationary, and we've been between that. So in being in between that, you can have... Being in between a, a low high and a high? Yeah, so the pattern. So Where was the high? Was the high to our east? Uh, do, you, do you want more information than that? No, no. Th- okay. No, no, let's go. I can't <laughs> I can't think about it right now. I thought you had it at the top of your I head. Did Mike, not you usually have this stuff. I, I did. You know, I'm running about 65% right now. I mean, this is... got to drink more coffee. Is, I'm working on it. I'm halfway through. About two shots into four right now. The um, <laughs> is that is that you really have four seriously shots? four shots in there, that's, man? Yeah, and it's that's it's a, a little too much. It's a long. It's a <laughs> I, I pull on it all day long, and so by about three o'clock, I have a twitch in my eye, and I can't remember. I have no short term memory, so that's actually well. You don't need a short term memory. Apparently, it's, it's not it's like working Google. for me. It's right. It's, it's Google. Yeah. So there was a persistent low over the East Pacific, sort of mid level we call trough, mm-hmm. um, leading to uh, an upper level ridge over the sort of north central part of the country. And so what we ended up seeing was, and this actually relates back to the epic waves they've been seeing on the West Coast, is that there's been a long fetch in a, a low pressure system with a real long fetch into the West Coast that's just been spinning there for weeks. And that has just set up a train of waves that have been crashing into the mm-hmm. middle of California. So what we've seen is we've seen these little low pressure systems that will drop out underneath this trough and spin off towards the southwest. And so that repeatedly keeps any ridging from the south at bay and then keeps us into, you know, kind of periodic cooling or it just really helps moderate the temperatures. But why then weren't we generating any precipitation from that? It's moisture at that point. We just didn't. I mean, so if you're if you're having these storms without real high latitude trajectories, if they're not coming right out of the Gulf of California 
And if they do come out of the Gulf of California, they usually will have moisture with them and they're really cold. So you have this sort of trade-off. If you have a low pressure system and it's coming from high latitudes and it's bringing out some moisture, it's overall net moisture isn't very much, right? Because it's cold. Well, and also has to traverse a bunch of yeah. land and a bunch of mountains. That's right. That's right. And so for those to be low latitude precipitation producers, they have to maintain their coldness relative to their amount of moisture. Wait, right? say that again. For them to be low latitude. Yeah. So for them to bring their own moisture with them mm-hmm. from from a higher latitude, so they ha- they have to be cold, right? So if they moderate with that same amount of moisture, the vapor pressure deficit increases. What you want to have is if, you, if you're coming from a high latitude and you're bringing your own moisture, that storm system has to stay cold to be real close to, to being able to have condensable moisture right. and precipitation. So it's not until we get to the core of the winter season here that we can see these high latitude storms be able to So it's move a temperature the, issue. Yeah, for, for sure. And, you know, so you can have these storms come down and they may bring clouds, right? That's mm-hmm. what we see as you get this far south is a moderating temperature. But they don't, they don't have enough moisture with them at that point to be able to do anything. And the temperatures are too warm. The, yeah, and the temperatures moderate. And so, For the most part. I mean, uh-huh. maybe at the higher elevations in, exactly. in the Rockies. Then. Sure. Yep, yep. And then it, sometimes they'll drop, if they drop south and they're inland, it's real tough for them to produce precipitation. They'll, they'll typically dry out, but those can be our real cold events. If they drop down the coast and are able to then do this hook, towards Southern California into they usually pick up a little bit of moisture. So that's the key. If, if, yeah. if Those they're, are, com- if yeah, they're coming down the, the, the coast yeah, they and they're drop. actually able to entrain trop- more tropical moisture. And so it's not just the moisture that's coming from the north. Yeah. It's actually picking up some moisture from yep. the tropics. Yeah. And but if they're not coming down the coast and they're coming more in the interior, they don't have the same sort of trajectory that can pick up the, the tropical Absolutely. moisture. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the, the Weather Service has this great term called an inside slider. Mm. Is that you have Sounds these, like a baseball. It is exactly a baseball <laughs> analogy. Term. <laughs> it is a baseball term. Yeah. And uh, you can have these storm systems drop fully inland. So they're just fully inter- interacting with continental air masses. And so, you know, continental polar air mass is going to be dry. And so you can end up having a wonderful, deep, cold, low pressure system drop through the Southwest. And it'll be one of those where it's windy on the front end of it and it's cold and dry on the back end of it. Okay, so then the, the the question becomes is is why do you get these inside sliders versus the storms that track more into the interior of the of the U.S.? So what, what's the sort of synoptic or regional pattern that sets up that sort of enables that those inside sliders? I think it, it's the upstream jet stream position and orientation. Upstream meaning up, west. Up, yeah, t- towards the, the across the whole uh, East Pacific, and so this time of year as we're sort of moving into the core winter season. We're, we're looking across the entire East Pacific from the tropics all the way up into Eurasia and even into Siberia to see what's coming. And then this is where you get into the whole discussion about the tropics with El Nino and how they can in, either enhance or mm-hmm. strengthen and shift that jet stream position or not. So we've got a couple of different mechanisms to, to give us those great, great winter storms. So so we were talking about having one of those low-pressure systems at a high-latitude, strong, cold system drop down the coast and interact with subtropical moisture. So not only bring some moisture with it, but also interact, interact with some subtropical moisture. Those are can be very strong dynamically because they end up having real strong temperature differences with the ocean and the land masses, as well as now having moisture. Mm-hmm. So those can be the ones that are the great winter storms for us. And then we also have 
the, so the ones that we saw like later this month with this stationary low, the ones that we saw later. I'm in, sorry, uh, later in November, and then the early part, early of, December of early part of December, which yeah. are our two rain events. I thought you were already had. Pre- forecasting. <laughs> I'm going, man. I'm going full on, and so and so all day, baby. The uh, this quasi stationary low south of Gulf Alaska, off of the west coast. We had little little lows spin off the bottom of it, and they were able to interact with some subtropical moisture. So it wasn't ideal, and we had real high snow levels. These were not you know, super duper cold uh, early winter storms. They did produce some upper, some higher elevation snow. They were mostly warm rainers. We ended up having some pretty high snow levels, but very typical, very seasonal. Right. So that event that you're, the most recent event, the only, well, since November, there's only been two events for the most part. For the most part. The one at the end of November. They're kind of, yeah. And they had a slop over on either sides. And then first week, I think it was December 6th, 7th, that at least for Tucson, area was actually in, in some places close to three quarters of an inch. It was so, way wetter than the forecast. You know, the forecast coming up leading into that event, it was this little filament of subtropical moisture that the low that was coming in off of the Pacific was, that was the question in the models was, was it going to pick up that little bit of subtropical moisture? And the models kept moving it to the Northwest and then to the Southeast. And it kind of went back and forth. And then the later model runs ended up having that stripe of precip to the southeast of us, which can often happen is that that subtropical moisture as these things drop low, you can end up having real good wet conditions in Sonora. And then they go off into New Mexico and Arizona's on the dry side. We've had, we've had several winters where the El Nino signal ends up cutting the southwest in half, where New Mexico ends up having this wonderful, right. you know, and Sonora does it. And we were like, wait, what? We didn't get anything out of it. This, on the weather scale, though, this event ended up, man, we dialed it in. That precip came right through, and it was much heavier than forecasted, too. Yeah, and that three-quarters of, of an inch in, in, in Tucson basically represents close to half of <laughs> the, the total monthly, monthly yeah. precipitation. That's and, the way we do it in the Southwest. We don't mess around with yeah, I mean, it's, 25 events in a month or something like that. Well, okay, so that, that brings me. I'm looking at you know plots that you have created, your, your, your cool season scorecards. Cool season, man. You've got the time span being between October and the end of May. And for Tucson, historically, in that period, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight months, mm-hmm. I'm using my fingers here, 13 events on average. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's that's totally crazy. Yeah, yeah. Just not that many. Looking at that period of time, so it's, you know, October, we've already talked about this, so, you know, October, that weird, could be tropical, mostly not, mostly blank, you know, zero. And then that later part of April and May for Tucson, not a lot usually going on. So usually those events are happening right in the middle. Yeah, that's true. The end of the month there, the end of that yeah. time span is is, yeah. is 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 basically zero. But yeah. even still, thirteen events in yeah. in the in those six months. Yeah, we um, have we have more precip events in a shorter amount of time during the monsoon than we typically do during the winter. Okay, so the other thing that I did just to remind myself the climatology was I I looked at the climatology or the average monthly rainfall for the southeast part of of Arizona. And so October, on average, receives about an inch. November, about three quarters of an inch. December is about an inch and a quarter. January is about an inch and a quarter. February is about an inch. And March is about an inch. And then it plummets. 
there's not much difference between the months. For one, it's an inch here and there. And if you miss one storm or you get an extra storm, it can make or break you in terms of, of, of percent. And it's also interesting when we look at the monsoon and contrast this with the monsoon. I mean, we really have two two months in the monsoon that, that produce close to three inches. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite it's quite an interesting climatology here in the Southwest. We kind of talked generically about the winter wet season and the and the the summer wet season, but they they are not like each other at all. <laughs> they they, re, they really are. I mean, mechanistically, the the summer monsoon is so dramatically different than the winter, and then the winter expectation. This winter wet season, all the distributions, if you look across the state, they all have long tails to the right, meaning that. In that historical record, we've got a handful of very wet winters, but a lot of dry winters, right? right? And so the the averages end up not being all that meaningful in our expectations, Yeah, you which get... is going to be great for when we bet on <laughs> what those totals will be. Well, I, I hope you have your uh, your estimate handy. I don't, I'm, I'm actually, still thinking about mine too. as I'm going I know through that, these numbers. I know we agreed on that. I don't even have a starting point on on where we should be going. So the other the other thing that was interesting is, it, as it turns out, when you look back over the last hundred years or so, about thirty three percent of those years, December had the most rain out of that. Surprised of me. I would have thought it would have been maybe maybe February yeah. or January. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering why mechanistically. Why would December be the hot month in terms of rain? Yeah, <laughs> the hot month in terms of rain. That is really confusing for a hot for a climate podcast. Well, people can handle it. <laughs> okay, I had to think about it for a second. I don't should know. Should I do I, some more mixed metaphors? No, I think it's wonderful. I think you should. I think you should stir in a sports one and maybe a cooking one too, if we could, <laughs> if we could try to try to do that. So I was surprised by that. I mean, and I think you and I have talked over many years now about the core months for El Nino relationships is really January, February, March, and even like sort of February, March, right? So I think that that then maybe it it at least biased me towards thinking that those were the wettest months Mm -hmm. in our sort of historical distributions and pulled up a couple of plots here too, and they're not. They're just what you said. There's actually more extreme variability for Southeast Arizona in December out of any winter month, even approach it approaches on the high end some of the higher end monsoon totals, which I was the quite variability, about. the variability, yeah. not the absolute. Value. No, no, not not the absolute values. Yeah. No, the so, range mm-hmm. is is there's greater spread in December than any any other month. Any other month for yeah. southeast, and then if you look at the the northern part of the state, it's not December; it's actually January and February. So, yeah, so it switches a little bit. It switches so, a little bit, right? So maybe it has something to do with the the trajectory of the events and its access to moisture, like that early December event for the southern part of the state. Because it, it's if this is indeed the case, what we're seeing in the state is that the southern part of the state has more extremes in December. Maybe these storms that can reach low latitudes can pick up some of the later. Um, the, the moisture in the yeah. tropics is 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 more northerly. Yeah, it's it's sagging south for sure, but maybe right. But as it, it's yeah. sagging south, yeah. so therefore it's gonna be in, further away from us. The deeper we get into winter, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so that that could be the case. Whereas that's not as much of a case for the northern part of the state. And the early December event was definitely more focused on the southern part of the state. So there's probably an answer out there and. See, this is where the Ask Siri would have been really helpful, actually. I'm not sure we'd phrase that in form of a question. but A, a couple other interesting tidbits. Just looking at the U.S. as a whole 
it, the last three months were the second wettest on record. That's amazing. Yeah, I had not been paying that close attention. And it's largely driven by the southeast has received a lot of uh, a lot of rainfall. A lot of I mean, we were just back east and for AGU, and there was a, a, a big storm that happened right before that. Yeah. Um, not in, in D.C., actually a little bit further north. But uh, but then they had another mid-Atlantic southeast storm slide through there and just produce copious amounts of rain. So, yeah. So it's been a, it's been a pretty wet uh, fall uh, for the most part, and we'll have to see how, how the winter plays out. Yeah. What about the temperatures on the, on the fall season here? For November, the temperatures have been below average as a whole for, for, for the U.S. And in the, in the West, it's been right around average. But if you look back at, let's say, the last three months, so September, October, November, national temperatures are, are basically average. Let's see, and it's slightly above above average here in the in the in the southwest. So that that November kind of near average is super consistent with that circulation pattern we were talking about too. Is just, you know being not being stuck under either a persistent trough or a ridge, which is going to stack up the days in the anomalies or the above or below average. We've been kind of rapidly cycling between warm ups and cool downs, and everything's been fairly moderate. All right, so one thing that wintertime brings is snow. Spectacular. <laughs> Got it. Number three. Is that going to be the, the title of the podcast? I hope not, Ben. <laughs> no, he's shaking his head. He's like, that's terrible. <laughs> I have so many more. Um, I'm going to slide in here. Okay. So we were, we, we've been focused in that last discussion, basically in, in Arizona and, and, and New Mexico for the most part. But if you look at the West, it's been, and looking at these uh, sites that monitor snow, uh, snowpack, so snow water equivalent or the amount of, uh, of water in the snowpack, there's close to 2,000 of them across the West. Mm-hmm. They're, both, they're both automated. And then you've got these manual locations that actually people ski into and, 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 and measure, which would be a really cool job. I know, wouldn't it? I'm in the wrong business. Get to ski every day in the winter. I don't know what you do in the summer, though. Maybe, maybe go to Alaska and fish. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe <laughs> should go to the southern hemisphere, chase snow down there. What were we talking about? I don't know. Um, Your vacation plans, apparently. Okay, snowpack. If you look at the snowpack conditions around the west, it's sort of a mixed bag. You've got slightly above average conditions in the northern Rockies and Colorado, uh-huh. front ranges area. Although the San Juans, the southern southwest western Colorado, is really dry there so far in terms of snowpack. The snowpack in Utah is more above average than below average, although it's a mixed bag. Across the coastal range from uh, Northern California all the way up to Washington, uh, the Cascades, pretty dry. The Western pattern of, uh, of precip maybe follows what we were just talking about with Arizona. We say this every year this month. It's, it's very early. It's very early in the, in the snowpack season. It is very early, but I would rather have above average. Well, yeah, who wouldn't at this point? But man, oh man, give it some time. We also have had years where it's been above average now and has tanked mid-season. So I'm kind of the slow and steady on the accumulation curve here. Admittedly, it is early. Yes. Uh, And maybe we can't draw a lot of conclusions uh, yet, and we should wait for, you know, January and February to play out. The, the important date for uh, water forecasts or, or stream flow forecasts is April 1. Yeah. Yep. Turns out that April 1 is the time when is – it, is, it is, it, is it peak snow water equivalent in April 1 or is it 
is that just an arbitrary date that, that people use to forecast stream flows? Both. And we should make the distinction too that April 1st works for every place except the Southwest. And, and peak snowpack for Arizona, New Mexico is typically March, March 1st, or somewhere. It's actually before April 1st since we're, such, we're at such a low latitude. A recent paper from researchers here at the University of Arizona right. actually were able to quantify snowpack changes in the U.S., across the U.S., focusing both on the eastern part and in the western part. Which uh, I thought was really cool about that. Yeah, because it's usually... F- it's usually all west. It's usually all snowtel sites, which you talked about earlier. So they were able to do it for the whole continental U.S. at the same time. Sort of a similar story. Like we've heard this before. Snowpack is one of the changes that are most visible mm-hmm. uh, in, in the observational record. I guess the narrative prior to this paper, which we'll talk about in a minute, but the, the narrative is snowpacks are getting less, particularly at middle elevations. That's changing the amount of uh, or when water is flowing in the, in the streams is moving up earlier. Anything that this uh, new paper by Zhubin Zen and Patrick Broxton and Nicholas Dawson that was just published in Geophysical Research Letters uh, in December, anything that this adds to the story? One of the exciting things about this paper was that the basis for it is a, a continental scale continuous data set of uh, snow cover depth, snow water equivalent, and snow cover extent. Prior to that, we have remote sensing, which can do snow cover extent, but it can't do depth very well. And, it, and we have to sort of try to figure out what the snow water equivalent is, which is that the, what, how much water is actually in a sort of unit of snow mass. And the fact that it's daily from 1982 to 2016, and for the continental U.S., allows you to see the dynamics of both the depth and the extent really vary. And then they they went the further step of being able to, for each one of those four-kilometer pixels, try to evaluate the role of temperature and precipitation, either alone or together. And it found a lot of the same things that we would have expected. Right. But it's a much more nuanced take. Well, and it also did it at a finer scale. And you Absolutely. mentioned this, like pre- previous work was basically doing these kinds of analyses for either the, the snow tail stations that we were talking about before, right. um, you know, their point, point stations. And those are located, you know, in higher elevations on or northern slopes. And, and so they, it, it provides a representation that has a lot of, a lot of holes. Yeah. And, and this work actually was able to link it to other data sets in a rigorous way and actually make it a lot more more fine-scaled. I agree. Totally. It does paint the same sort of picture, but I guess a couple things that I got out of it was that they, they also broke it up, just looking at the west here, they also broke it up by my mountain range. Mm-hmm. So they looked at the Sierras and they looked at the at the Colorado Basin. And turns out that the the trends for the the April one snow water equivalent is there's greater declines in the Sierras than in the Colorado. Yeah. And that makes sense because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Sierras are much lower in terms of elevation. Oh, that's a good point. They, they have a figure in, in the paper where it's like the amount of area oh, at, at different elevation you. ranges. <laughs> I, clearly, uh, I clearly skipped over that and, figure. <laughs> <laughs> and for the Sierras... Two-thirds of the area of the Sierras is at what they call mid-elevations. Ah, right, right. That's I'm not exactly sure okay. what elevation threshold that is without looking deeper into the paper, and I don't have that number handy. 
But Colorado, on the other hand, you know, 60% of it is at higher ele- at high elevations. Yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think that the fact that the Sierras are seeing and their snow water equivalent values in April are trending much lower than Colorado is because of, of that ele- elevation distribution. And the other thing that the paper highlighted, I thought, which was interesting, and I actually, I didn't know this, but precipitation is there's statistically significant trends over those 82 to 2016 period, negative trends in precipitation, statistically significant in the Sierras and in, in, in the Colorado Basin. Yeah. I thought yeah. that, I didn't think the, the, the trend was significant. So that's par- partially what's driving it, as is statistically significant temperature trends. Yeah. So both of these things together. Right, right. And but I, I thought it was mainly just a, a, a temperature issue. I think that was the interesting thing that, <laughs> at this point, I remember the abstract. Um, I did read this paper. Was trying to reinforce the fact of the importance of you know we've we've got a, a broader narrative. T- temperature is absolutely important, and, and what they find in the eastern U.S. It's not water limited. It's April first. This totally makes sense, right? Because it's a low elevation. It's sun angle. You get to April first. If it's cold, you can have snow extent, and if it's not cold, you won't. Right? So it's fairly straightforward. You get out west, you have the elevational aspect that's controlling temperature as well as the seasonal aspect controlling temperature. So you have this sort of interaction of temperature as well as precipitation. And that 1982 through 2016 period, we know in the Western U.S. and especially in the Southwest is pluvial to drought. So I would expect that you'd see some tilt of having more precip at the early part of the record and less at the later part. So it becomes a little bit of an end member, not end member, mm-hmm. but a, a period of record probably issue on that. And, but I, th- I thought it was really cool is they showed the interaction and they could, ex- you know, the, the variance explained in the changes in those snow cover metrics of temperature and precip interacting with each other. And you, you couldn't explain everything by either variable alone, except precip was the most important, but you had to have temperature in there to get more of the variance explained. Absolutely. So it's good to do these, these papers, particularly if they're new new data sets, and they can you know do it at a finer uh, fi- finer scale. But it's good to update this yeah, story. Yeah, uh, right. A so, lot of the papers that I'm familiar with, you know, are like a decade old. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the story hasn't changed, but there's some some added added layers to this. So it's, it's worth checking out. Let me just go over the the title in case people want to look it up. It's called "Snowpack Change from 1982 to 2016 Over the Coder Menace United States." Easy for um, you to say. <laughs> Not, not really. I stumbled on that one. <laughs> one, one of the, um, one of the key points at the end of the of the abstract of the plain language summary too was was pointing out that it's really important for us to understand snow dynamics now, so we can understand how they may change in climate models going forward. And so we're at a real not great spot right now on our understanding of mm. of both snow dynamics. This helps a lot of sort of dialing that stuff in. But it really points out how much better our monitoring has to get and how some of the data sets we're relying on, like remote sensing, maybe aren't telling the full story. And so then like running them out forward in climate models is going to be a real challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think before moving on, I, the, the other maybe part of that nuance that this paper adds is because they have such a high resolution, I can look at it at these grid cells at two and a, two and a half miles. Is it miles or kilometers? It's uh, four kilometers or two and a half Yeah, miles. four kilometers. They're actually able to quantify well, well, how many of those snowy pixels, as they call it, it's snowtacular. 
<laughs> how many of those snowy, snowy pixels. pixels in a particular area saw st- statistically significant trends? And yeah. it, not all of them. In fact, the majority of them aren't showing statistically significant trends. And so then it's the geography becomes important. Where are they showing up yep. and why? And I yeah. think that's that's part of what this this, this paper is, is, is trying to get a, a handle on. You start to then think about how hard snow is out here is that it's the geography of the mountains and the shape of the mountains too. And it's, as you said, it's, it's, you're going to see most of your change in the mid elevations, right? The lower elevations are going to be real ephemeral and the high elevations, which are well below freezing, won't show much interaction with temperature at all. So it's going to be in the middle elevations where you're going to see most of your temperature interaction. So kind of cool stuff. It'll, we'll definitely want to pay attention to it. I want to be conscious of time here, but we forgot to do something. Uh, when we were talking about the rainfall. Yeah. What is your wintertime prediction, Mike? And this is going to prelude the CPC and and the other climate forecast. Even before we go into expectation? So so total rainfall, January, February, March. All right. Let's do this. Okay. Tucson? Tucson. So the normal for January for Tucson is 0.94 inches. Oh, you're giving you're giving. I'm going to tell you. I'm telling you. Wow. I'm saying it out loud, man. I'm doing this for both of us. Okay. I'm going to go with 1.5. Wow, that is that. That's a lot. <sighs> wow. I'm actually feeling two, but I'm holding back. Boy, okay. So, so El Nino is forecasted. It, t- it tends to tip the scales ever so slightly toward wet. I think it's going to be 1.25. All right, February. All right, Tucson normal is 0. 0.86. 0. 0.75. Oh, good. I'm glad you jumped on that. Your pessimism is creeping in. I'm going with a solid one. Wow, one. Mike. All right, March. Oof, March is tough. Why is March tough? Since I've lived here, it has not been a very wet month. The normal is 0.73. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. This is like going to be a very. You feel like it's going to be a later? Well, I think it's going to, like, it's going to average, it's going to, the three months will. Be close to average. Interesting. But that means that 0.9 in March is wet. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of what what kind of rain event can you squeeze out of March? You've got to squeeze some rain events. On average, it's 0.75. Yeah, that distribution is a mess. Look at last year. All those T's. Those aren't even numbers. (laughs) All right. How about 0.3? I think you have a, a more interesting division here. It's like yeah, you even starting hot and... They're yeah. mixing metaphors I've, again. I've, Starting hot <laughs> and getting cool. All right. So, you, so you're two point eight, and I'm two point nine. Oh my gosh! Oh no, we came out with the same. But we're both above average. <laughs> That's not. Is that how does that work? Okay, so Mike, so we're both bullish. Yeah, we are bullish on uh, on this winter. Uh huh. So what? <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot bullish, but so one hundred fourteen percent of average for two point nine or two point eight. Uh, I'm sorry, that was two point nine. So two point nine is one hundred fourteen. 14% of average. So we're we're both bullish, Mike. Let's let's quickly um, hit uh, what the projections are, what the forecasts are. The forecast is above average for JFM. Is there any updates on El Nino? We're still, as far as I can tell, we're still El Nino watch, very likely to be a, a weak to moderate event. There it's 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 not quite clear yet where that'll fall, but and then also that the atmosphere is still sort of lagging behind the sea surface temperature. So we're, we haven't really seen any of the atmospheric response yet, but people expect it to be that way. 
Um, the other interesting thing about El Nino that I saw was looking at the Columbia University and the CPC's forecast. They, looking out to the end of this year, they've increased the the chances for El Nino to persist into next winter, and that would be a, a, a double dip. Anything? So really, yeah, I didn't see that. No yeah, kidding. They, they yeah, double today dipper? they. Whoa. So the IRI, Columbia University's International Institute for Climate and Society, which. You know, is one of those groups that has written a book on seasonal oh, forecasting. Oh, yeah, yeah. They issue their forecasts at the beginning of the month, and then they readjust them in the middle. And that readjustment, they take on some expert judgment there. Mm-hmm. And the, there was a change in odds. They increased the chances that El Nino would, would persist. That is so interesting. That I mean, that just that piece of information makes me – I just – this is a feeling. Feeling. That when we're – on the El Nino side of it, we have benefited from that during the monsoon season and in the fall, right? So I'm already looking forward to next monsoon season. I don't even care what happens this winter now. I'm kind of giving up on it. Wow. <laughs> you, you're, you're opportunistic. You, I am so opportunistic. This is all very emotional for me. Yeah, I'm just looking for rain basically at every every corner. That's what I got, Zach. I mean, that's, that's what I know too. The official seasonal outlook, say I have a probability anomaly of a 4%. So that's a... a Four percent lean into above average. It's not a very strong lean. That is um, not a. Is that even a lean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. So basically, it's so saying, it's a slight tilt in the odds. Yeah. Yeah. So we break this down for Tucson. The chances of based on this outlook for January, February, March total precip is thirty-seven percent chance of it being above normal. 33% chance of it being near normal and 30% chance of it being below normal. So if you play with those numbers, there's a 70% chance that it will be nor- near normal or above. Yeah. That's the way I, I like. I always like your. That's your, the way it's, it's a little bit easier. It yeah. Yeah. Because it turns in three categories and, and boils it down into two and increases the odds in one. Right. I mean, hey, that's a win win. Yeah. Me. But <laughs> it's a very glass, mostly full perspective on it. The problem is, is that the range of values from the lower bound of near normal to the higher bound of above normal is enormous, right? What what that envelope of climate could be is everything from the wettest winter ever to a very not great winter for Tucson. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. I guess it's shifting away from below normal is somewhat encouraging. Well, There's go- not a lot here, folks. And then going back to the climatology with December being an important the the most important month, if you if you will, of of the winter, a fair amount of of this should be determined in the next in the yeah. next month. Yeah, that's true. You know, there's there's a a little. <laughs> we You're like, yeah, yeah, left. yeah. We got uh, days left, and the, it's interesting. The the shorter lead CPC forecasts all have wet. For the entire continental U.S., they all lean wet. So it's apparently going to be an active. For what period? For the 6 to 10-day forecast and the 8 to 14 is definitely on the the wet side. <laughs> for, right. It's, so it's, there, it's coast there, to coast. There, um, there might be some uh, of that in our near future. Yeah. And it, it's interesting that the short lead outlook over the, last, over the next two weeks is um, below average temperatures. So to, to wrap up our snotacular podcast here – there could be a white Christmas in, in parts of parts of Arizona and, and New Mexico with this below normal temps above normal precip should equate to snow. Any parting shots, Mike, for, for Christmas, for New Year? 
I hope you get Legos for Christmas. I hope you ask for Legos. <laughs> Having the name Zach, that Lego commercial it's terrorized I, me I'm sure when I was in, yeah. I think I was in like sixth grade. When oh, so prime time. Oh, it's, it's on the- YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> you should have seen the sweater that that kid was wearing too. Man, that was <laughs> 80s personified right there. Oof, it was a cardigan sweater buttoned oh. up. Oof, it's rough. All right, that's it. Thanks, Zach. All Have right. a great holiday. Have a good break. Yep. We'll come back in a, in a month and, and do a recap and talk to you all soon. Happy New Year, everyone. Cheers. What'd you get? I didn't, I didn't do it. Just <laughs> checking. I was checking email. No. So anything you want to say about that? Um, snow is good. Water's good. Drought is bad.